We're going to talk this morning about things that if you'll listen, if you'll put some of these principles that the Lord's given me into your life, if you'll meditate these things, it can change your life dramatically. I said quite a lot. Now, if you just listen to him, you'll say of pastor, he did real good this morning. And, you know, give me an attaboy and go out and say, you know, he was in stride. Or maybe you'll say, you know, that wasn't much. It doesn't matter to me. It's what you do with God's word this morning that'll go into the future. I don't need an attaboy. I know what's going on for me, and you know what's going on for you. You've got to take God's word as he brings it into your life and do something with it. You have to react. It's God's part to bring the word. He's not bringing signs and wonders and dramatic things, lightnings and thunders and rumblings of smoke. He's not walking through the wall and saying, thus here I am and here you will. I'm not saying he won't. Sure, he won't say that he can't. But his highest and best way to talk to you and I about the future is through his word. You say, well, I want to get it more dramatic. Jesus, the one time that he said the greatest faith in Israel that he had seen was somebody that said, be it done unto me according to your word. Just the word. The word is enough, family. In Deuteronomy, it says in chapter 32, a principle that talks about the exponential of God. The Lord Jesus, where he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. It fed a whole bunch of folks and had more left over than they started with. The Lord wants to multiply. I said if we'd let him, he'd multiply everything good in your life. There's principles. The tithe is a principle that if you'll bring your tithe in there, he'll multiply. It'll put a factor into your life that things will happen, routine things that'll turn to good for you because you're a tither. You'll find that your life is in a bubble or a thing where the devil tries to come at you and he's rebuked. The devourer is rebuked and he can't get to you. All he can do is that pesky mosquito business where he just buzz around and aggravates you and, and is pesky. Look in here in chapter 3230. Here it is. It says, how should one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight except their rockets sold them and the Lord had shut them up? It's in context there. But the first part of the verse tells us that the Lord has a multiplying factor of one to ten. Yesterday, I was talking to an air conditioner guy, and I was asking him about, we have a five-ton unit in the ceiling here. I was talking to the guy about, this thing's 1989, here's 2010, and he said, you want to go back with a heat pump? He says, because for every unit that a heat pump uses, it puts out two. At zero degrees, he said, for every unit that that thing takes, it'll put out two. And I thought about the Lord. That everything you give the Lord one way, he puts out 10. He's exponential. You know what exponential is. It's a curve. It's not a 45-degree angle that at every angle it's the same. That the further that you go with exponential, the increase becomes multiplied. And so the closer you get to the end of the cycle, the faster the increase comes. Well, we're in days of increase that more and more it's going to exponentially increase and as more and more revelation comes, we're going to know how to multiply the loaves and the fishes. You know, it was the disciples that Jesus says, you boys take this and you go out. And it was multiplied in their hands. Say my hands. Yeah, that's how it happened. So this principle is what I've been studying on and what I'm excited about. And it's based on the keystone. The keystone is actually the top element in an arch. The arch is the strongest engineering structure 
per its weight. It'll hold more than any other structure. And the cool thing about an arch is that when you put the keystone, which is that top unit, it's the one that's usually wedge-shaped and you'll see it in a bridge or anything, it causes the ability of every unit or every brick or rock that's in there to be multiplied beyond its normal capacity. When you put them in an arch, then they take on an increased capacity and the keystone is the one that multiplies it to the rest of them. Take the keystone out and they just become a rock. Cave in, it'll fall. But that keystone then multiplies it to every other unit in the arch. And so over and over we see in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus took normal things and he didn't just go one for one like this air conditioner guy told me. He said, if you put heat strips in your church, for every dollar you put in, you'll get a dollar of energy out. It'll be one for one. It's like the stove in your house. It's just resistant heat. But he said, this other thing, this machine, you put in a dollar's worth and it'll put out two dollars worth. You could tell he was putting a sale on me. Hallelujah. He must sell them. I don't know. And so I'm thinking about the Lord Jesus over and over how he didn't do one-on-one, how he worked miracles and he worked with people and he got exponential results like the keystone and it worked out. The devil also tries to work against us in an exponential way. He tries to work things against us that have a greater effect on us than just the event that's happening. He tries to make things go further faster than they should have based on the environment and based on what he's trying to produce. So I put down here that a keystone for us is anything in your life that either multiplies or can eliminate the devil, other elements, exponentially. A keystone is anything that when you put it in your life, it takes a measure of one effort, but it produces more than one unit of result. You know, the only way to multiply your life is to get a helper to help you do what you're doing. You can't do more than what you can do, and it multiplies your life. You can do that by money. You can do that by time. That's the result of multiplying your life. But in the kingdom of God, he said there are things you can do that don't require people that you can be involved in from the word of God that will cause your life to go further faster. So in the spirit realm, the world can't do this. They are locked out, as it were. Like Debbie was sharing this morning, it's the Lord. Remember, it's the Lord that giveth thee the power to get wealth. Well, you know, what's that mean? It means that the keystone to your wealth is not going out and making a deal here and making a deal there. You can get one-on-one, one unit in, one unit out. The world's operating that way every day. But with the Lord, you can bring your tithe into the storehouse, so to speak, one unit in, but overflow or the windows opening, a keystone effect exponentially produces more than what you put in. Hallelujah. And that's just the financial. That's just the measurable. But then there's all sorts of other things that come from the tithe that you can't necessarily measure and say, well, this is it and this is that, that begin to ripple out through your life exponentially. It's the keystone effect. I mean, it's the Word of God. It's not the keystone, but we're just talking about something natural that relates to that and causes us to think that way. When we take this principle of 1 to 10, he says 1 can put 1,000 to flight, 2 can put 10,000 to flight. Well, see, that's a keystone effect. How can that be? 1 puts 1,000 to flight. Should be that if you get you a buddy, you can put 2,000 to flight. But he said, no, it multiplies tenfold. Well, I want more of that. How about you? 
I want more time. I want more energy. I want more results. I want more harvest without giving more. And the world, give all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. They're always trying to get more out by putting more in. Well, I want to be smart. I want to be spiritual. I want to be in faith and put the same in and get more out. Well, faith is that keystone then. Faith causes that thing to change exponentially in your life. You put one unit of faith in, which would be the same kind of unit that you do to work all day for what the man that worked all day got out, you're getting at least a tenfold or a hundredfold, depending on how it works, result back. That's just good business, y'all. That's taking what you are here on earth, limited in your physical form, and getting heavenly unlimited results. As if we were in heaven, as if we were angelic, as if we could speak to the mountain and the mountain would remove instead of going over there with a pickaxe and knocking it out one rock at a time. I love it. People try to beat on a 300-pound door, try to break in. Somebody comes up with a three-ounce key and opens it and walks in. That's exponential. Open the door with the key. Hallelujah. And we ought to be smart. We ought to be faithful and get these results. So if you're alone in a battle and the odds are against you, what you got to do is go find somebody that'll come up next to you. You put a 1,000 to flight, but there's 10,000 of them out there. You get you a buddy to come up and hook up with you the power of agreement. The power of agreement is a keystone in your life. All of a sudden, it's just you and just one other, but the enemy set back on his heels, even though there's 10 of them and only two of you. This empower you in any way? This is how God works. This is how the kingdom of God works. Absolutely. So you need a partner. And so that would be smart in your life. Instead of going out uh, wailing on the enemy in the situation one-on-one, get you someone, get you a wife, get you a husband, get you a partner of some kind that can agree with you because whatever you bind on earth is bound in the heavenly. Amen. To do this, though, you got to find out what your need is. What is the need in your life? Well, I need more money. Everybody could raise their hand and say more money. It wouldn't matter if you had 23 cents to your whole cash flow today or if you had $23,000. Everybody has a dream bigger than their financial flow. Their supply is always dwarfed by a dream. So everybody could always say, I need more money. But it's not necessarily true. You can give more money to some people and it doesn't change anything. Do you all know those people? They have shows now on TV about I won the lotto, and it shows these train wrecks. They have poverty capacity on the inside, but money comes to them, a great sum of money, but the capacity, you cannot pour 20 gallons of water into a Coke bottle fast because it's just a little hole. And so these people have little capacities on the inside. You pour a lotto on them, and it just all goes out and is wasted, and they're back in debt before the weekend. It doesn't matter. Money's not necessarily the answer to your need. But now once you get the dream in, now once you get the capacity in, then money is the need you have to take the next step. But it's got to come at the right stage or it's wasted. So we got to be mindful of what we release our faith for. So we need wisdom. Wisdom is the thing we need, not more money. It's not time for money. You'll spend it on the wrong thing. You'll do the wrong thing. You'll go the wrong way. Money can even power you to get in more trouble than if you didn't have any money and just stayed where you were. Do y'all know those people? Money sent them down the tubes, and that's why religious folks say, oh, money, that's bad. We shouldn't be asking God for money because they've seen those train wrecks. They've seen those folks that got money at the wrong time and didn't have a capacity, didn't have a dream to fund. They didn't have a good work to fund. Hallelujah. And then on the enemy side, the negative side, the devil tries to use things exponentially against you. You know what would bother some people? A pint of liquor or however they come. 
we could stack it up in my cabinets and in the garage by the case. Whiskey or whatever, and it wouldn't affect me any. But you'd bring in 33 drops of it for some people, and it would whack them. So you got to know where the enemy's using exponential or keystone effects against your life and say, what may not be a problem for you is definitely what the enemy is wiping me out with, even though it's not affecting you. So we can't just say, well, the need we have against the devil is this and paint everybody with the same brush. We all have weaknesses. We all have areas where pressure works differently on us, and we have different areas where we have to stand with a keystone effect in our life to put him back. Amen. So $10,000 to somebody might build orphanages all over a nation, and it might put somebody else on drugs and wipe them out. This situation requires focus. If you want to go here with God, you're going to have to get focused. And we are in a very distracted world right now. It's going to require mastery. We right now are in a society that is so pulled on every side, raising our kids, our job, our bosses want more and more. Just the pleasure of this world is just so deep and wide, and there's still just 24 hours and just still so much strength. So we have to have mastery. You cannot be a jack-of-all-trades anymore. There's just so much out there, but you can't do it. You're going to have to focus, and you're going to have to master, and then you're going to have to operate by wisdom. Say, wisdom is for me. I'm telling you, God wants you to begin to bring your life in and find out what he's saying to you that's peculiar, specific, and unique to your life, and then get like a bird dog on that and not let anything else bother you. You know, when they run these races, these horse races, they put these things on the horse's head called blinders so that when the horse is over here and the horse is over there, the crowd is over here, the horse just sees one thing. Well, I think we all need a good dose of blinders, hallelujah, sometimes, just so we can run our race and not get involved. Are you in Luke chapter 18? We're talking about getting exponential results with your life. Talking about promotion in your life. Chapter 18, verse 18, you know this story, but let's just breeze through some points on it. This is the rich young ruler. It says a certain ruler... Asked him, saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that could be a broad question that we could all plug in and say, Lord, good master, now I'm born again. We are. But Lord, how do I take the next step? Lord, how do I get increase in my life? Lord, how do I take an ordinary life that's got challenges and got problems and situations all around and the dream in my life? How do I go to the next level? I've got a job, I've got three kids, you know, I've got a mother-in-law, I've got a mean boss, I've got all these situations in your life. And you go, Lord, how can I inherit the next step of my life that I just don't walk through my life every 10 years and look back and say, nothing changed, amen? So it fits all of us. And in verse 21, he said, uh, do these things. And the man said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Talking about being a good Jew and keeping the Ten Commandments. He said, I've done this. And so we've done some things. We've qualified to stay in the race. And the Lord took it another step. He said in verse 22, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing. Say one thing. Let's say it better. One thing. Do you think this man just lacked one thing? No, he had plenty of stuff going. He was prideful. He was self-righteous. There's no telling what else was going on in his life that the Lord knew about. But he cut to the chase. 
And he said, you want to go on with your life? You want increase in your life? We could sit here for the afternoon and through the weekend, but let's just cut it down to where you can handle it, Mr. Rich Young Ruler. One thing you lack. So he was talking about a keystone. Here he's talking about something that would move in that man's life that would move his whole life. You know, we got to get past the one-on-one thing where you do something and you put one unit of effort into it, one unit of faith into it, and it produces one unit of results. We've got to get stuff going in this life where we put in one unit and it yields tenfold or thirtyfold or sixtyfold. When I put my offering in the plate, y'all, I'm not looking to just get it back. I'm not looking for the one fold. Now, Lord, here's 30. I'm loaning it to you. I need it back, but I'll make you an interest-free loan. If I can just get it back, Lord, I'll be good. That's not what I'm interested in. So we're already operating in this principle. But it's not just financial in the sense of money or a check. It's a principle every way of your thinking, where you engage the kingdom of God as a lifestyle, where we don't think like the world. Our need is not doctrine. Now, there's a lot of people that do need doctrine, but here this morning, our need is not more doctrine. Don't steal, don't adulterize. Our need is to think right, to agree with how God is already and is going to continue operating the kingdom. It's not going to change. He's been doing it. He's going to do it. And so you need to get on board or you need to get off. But you can't play church with God. The system's set up. Your mom and dad had a system when you were growing up, I hope, and you might could entreat him, oh, pretty please, pretty please, daddy, can I, can I, can I, can I? He says no, so head off to mom. If you couldn't get it in two, you were out of options. And God's just not moving. He's doing it his way, amen? So that's what we have to do is find out what it is that he's got. The word says here in verse 23, it says, when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, 1823. So he had much, and so he was sorrowful. In other words, one thing thou lackest, go give to the poor, take up the cross and follow me. One thing thou lackest, it was the keystone, it was the door that behind that door, you know, Bob, what do we have behind door number three? Well, here, Harry, we've got this trip and this prize, but we've got to open the door. And the man thought about it. The man had become attached to the system that he had developed, and he said, I can't go to God's system. Now, let me just tell y'all, if you're there in any area, you're done. You're done. You can live an American life. You can live a Christian life in the sense of going to heaven. But when you talk about promotion and increase and advancing exponentially, you just need to know it's not going to work for you. You have to be able to change God's right, and if we don't agree with him, we're wrong. And you have to make the adjustment. And the main thing is, is you have to want to, and you've got to do it quickly. Not every opportunity will last for 20 years. Some people want to wait and try every option, and then finally they come back to God. You know, that's not very flattering <laughs> when you just can't take God's word. But then finally, when nothing else works, you say, okay, God, I'll do it your way. There's not much faith in that, but it'll work for you. In Philippians chapter 3, let's go there. This man didn't make it. He couldn't make it. 
Even though Jesus said there's just one thing that thou lackest, just one thing, didn't give him a long list, didn't overwhelm him with a whole bunch of stuff, said one thing, can you do one thing? You know that wasn't the end of it, but it was going to move his whole life forward so much that he was going to be willing to engage everything else that God had for him. So I'm going to entreat you this morning to consider the one thing. You've probably got a shopping list in your heart of things that you want to improve, to change, to increase, to get over there, to put away the bad, the weak, the weights, and to get over there and break out. It's been in your heart, but you just couldn't find a good time in the new year. It just seems like finally, let's get out there and do something. Let's lose a few pounds, get that book started or get that project going. We're energized. But I'm going to try to break you back down and pull you back in and say, it's not a list. It's one thing. You can do one thing. It may be challenging, but we're faith people. You can do one thing. And the Lord wants you to do one thing because behind that one thing, the keystone event is a lot of increase that will move your whole life forward in an exponential way. Hallelujah. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul, he's in the middle of a discourse here, and it says, And to be found in him talking about his desires, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. He's talking about what he wants to do, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means, look, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, neither were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. One thing I do. A lot of things he could do. No doubt a lot of things he should do, but he said there's one thing on my list. He said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So here he lays a pattern out for us to say that we've got to have a goal. We've got to have a passion. We've got to have a consecration that says, I want to do it in God. Everybody wants more. Everybody's got increase on their head. Everybody's saying, let's do more, let's have more, let's be more. But do you want to do it through the Lord Jesus? And once you submit and commit to him, there's a consecration, there's a sanctification that you have to go through that says you got to stick with it. Everybody's willing to tithe after the bonus. But what can you do when the mortgage and the light bill and the tithe are all in the same going out slot and there's just not enough in the bank slot? What are you going to do then? Well, you've got to grow into that. You've got to see God work in the little areas so that you can have a confidence in these other areas. Well, the way to have confidence in God is to see the keystone or the exponential work in your life. So Paul, he said, one thing I do, I forget the past. Y'all, we got to forget what didn't work. I've got some stuff in my past that didn't work, but you know what? The reason it didn't work wasn't God. It was me. It's still there, and it's still failure, didn't work, not enough, disappointment, discouragement. All those things worked against me, and I can remember them. 
how people disappointed me and let me down, and how things didn't work out like I dreamed and planned, and promises I'd made based on things I would do, and they didn't come to pass, and I had to tell them it didn't work out. All those things, I can remember them. He said, you need to let that thing go. You need to start fresh. One thing, one thing, if you can do that, he said, and get a new slate, he said, you're not going to have any troubles. It's major. Well, it may not be for you, may have already cut everything loose. But for Paul, that's what the problem was. So the devil, the devil is going to try to use the keystone effect against you. He's going to try to get something that pushes your button and work it and work it and work it. How long will the devil work something against you? As long as it works. As long as it works, as long as you react and go crazy and go wild-eyed and leave the church and backslide, when you come back up and say, Lord, here I am again, he's going to push that same button until it doesn't work. Y'all, we ought to figure that out. The devil's going to work the keystone against me. What does the devil have? The Bible says in Corinthians, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Say common to man. Let's say it better, common to man. So the devil doesn't have anything to work against you except what's out there in life. So he's going to use people. He's going to try to make events that are normal to life seem really important, to seem like they're against you, to seem like God doesn't care. He's going to try to turn things a little bit and make it look like God doesn't give a rip about you, and he's going to make that try to work exponentially against your life. But he doesn't have anything except what is common to man. He doesn't have a Star Trek disease that he can put on you. He can't break your leg while you're going to the grocery store just because he's a mean devil. He can only work through the natural realm. But the Bible says that we've been given the authority of Jesus Christ, that we have more than what is common to man, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but mighty in God. The Bible says in Ephesians, we can put on the armor of God. The Bible says that the word of God is a sword that comes out of our mouth that will work against every situation. So the devil has little, and we in God have much. So we ought to be able to make this thing work. The keystone effect is available for you this morning. You just got to want it. Hallelujah. Matthew 6. This is the scripture that you know. We know it so well, it's like ho-hum. Can we have some deep stuff? But this is it right here. I want to ask you this morning, why Christians fail? We just look around and think about why Christians, maybe you would fall into this, why do Christians fail when you failed? What happened? Literally, the reason Christians fail is basically this. We fail to focus on who we are. It wasn't that we didn't say this or do that. It's we fail to focus on who we are in Christ Jesus. And when you don't know who you are, then you don't know what you have. And you also don't know what you can do. You got to know. You got to focus. Now, I would say that all of us are aware of it in a general sense of knowledge. I think everybody knows in here in a general sense of knowledge of when Social Security kicks in. I think we all know pretty much when the Mayan calendar says that the world's going to end. We all have a general knowledge about a lot of things, that tires cost this much, that airbags come from the front bumper, all this general knowledge. But do you know who you are in Christ Jesus? It'd be better to be a little ignorant about some worldly things and a master about who I am in Christ. But you don't get more time. You don't get more energy. So something's got to go in order to devote time or energy to mastery. 
I said the reason Christians fail is not because there's a mean devil. Not because they didn't get but a third grade education. Not because their mother was mean. Not because they got cut out of the will. Not because their boss fired them right before retirement. That's not why Christians fail. It's because we don't know who we are. It works good day to day, but in the clutch, when you have to know and you have to be bold and you have to stand and having done all to stand, you have to just hold your ground because you know who you are. If you can't hold the ground then, it's as if you never knew who you were. It's results-oriented, not knowledge-oriented. The second thing why Christians fail is because they mess around with the world. Well, they mess around with the world. The Bible talks about being engaged with pleasure, chasing pleasure. Does God care if you have pleasure? He wants you to have fun, but he doesn't want you chasing it. Pleasure is the byproduct of righteousness. You seek first the kingdom and fun comes. And the third thing why Christians fail is that simply we multitask. We just want to do everything. We want to go on every cruise and every vacation. We want to own everything. We want to look at everything. We want to hear about it. We are in a very prolific world right now, and we just don't want to give up anything. Every once in a while, you got to look at the magazines you get and just say, do I have time? For all of these. I'm not going to be your mama and tell you what you should and shouldn't do, but sometimes you got to do a cleaning out. You just got to. Come on, y'all. The internet can rob you silly. It's not that it's so evil, although anything can be. It's just that it just demands your time. It demands what God has already called his and says, give a little over here. It won't hurt much. And before we know it, we've got out of priority, and the power, the keystone factor is not working in our life. Now, I'm not preaching against anything this morning. I've got internet in my home, National Geographic. I've had it in my home. So I'm not mad or against anything. You have to decide because it's your life. Well, here in Matthew 6, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things. Now, in context, all these things, if you look up there in 32 and 31, is talking about the things that the Gentiles, the heathen, the sinners, are looking for. He said, I'm not against you having what they have, but I'm against you seeking them, seeking them first. Going after them before you've gone after me. The order is essential to your life. You've got to put him first. Then you can go after that, you've got to pray first. You've got to read the Word first. You've got to go to church first. You've got to do Him first, and these things He said would be added. And the word added there is literally the word repeated. All these things shall be repeated to you. It becomes a cycle of all the things that the world has begin to come into your life because you put Him first. It's called the keystone. You put a little in for Him first, in the right order, give it to him, and all the things that you couldn't have sought after and worked for and got begin to come into your life exponentially. You get the max for the minimum. Well, one thing you lackest. So we all have something in our life that Jesus would probably look at you in a private conference if you went to him and say, Lord, I got one question. How do I get to the next level with my life? And he'd say, one thing you lackest. And you ought to pay attention to that right there. Well, he's not going to sit you down literally in a vision, but he's going to bring it to you by the still small voice if you'll ask him. Lord, what is the thing I lackest? 
It's not that there's not a bunch of them, but Lord, what is the one thing that would be on your list that will push all my life forward exponentially? Lord, I know of a lot of things I could do. I could get another job. But Lord, what is the one thing that you know that if I was to engage it and have mastery in it, my whole life would advance? And you know he knows. And if you'll ask, he'll tell you. But let me give you just some hints about some general things that he'll be talking about when he does. We talked about in a series earlier about wisdom. When you seek God's wisdom, he gives you a strategy. The strategy is intended to give you the victory, and the victory has got glory in it. God wants the glory. Whatever you're doing, God wants the glory. He'll give you the wisdom so he can get the glory. Ask him for wisdom. What's in it for you, Lord? He wants the glory at the end of it. Like Debbie was teaching a while ago in Deuteronomy, he gives the power to get wealth. As you're getting the wealth, you say, Lord, I'm giving you the glory for wealth. It's all you, Lord. Every bit of this comes from you. I tell you, he stays on that track as long as you give him the glory. Amen. Do you remember Samson had a problem? What was the one thing that Samson lacked? Her name was Delilah. She pushed him way back. He was the man of God. He was actually a judge in Israel. He had everything going, but he had this one little thing about that girlfriend. And she wiped him out. Bad deal. Remember Saul. Samuel came to King Saul and says, I want you to go down to the Malachites, and I want you to whack that King Agag and all his family and all his kids and all his cattle. I want you to take them all out. So Samuel went down to the Amalekites, and King Agag was there. Samuel walked up, and he kept saying, I hear this bleeding of sheep. Saul said, well, no, I didn't do anything wrong. And he said, yes, you did. He confronted him, and he said, I did keep a little bit, and I spared the king. The prophet got so mad, the Bible says they brought Agag up, the evil king, thinking, hey, everybody's cooled off, I'm going to live. And the prophet took a sword, and the Bible says it hewed him to pieces. It was called the Amalekite Massacre. And at that time, Samuel told Saul, you have rejected his word, God rejects you from being king. Now, why did God want all of the Amalekites slain? What you might not know is that his wife, Agag's wife, was pregnant. She escaped. Even though Agag didn't, she escaped. She had a son. This prince was raised up to hate the Jews because they thought they had escaped, and all of a sudden the prophet came up and said, whack him, and they did, and he grew up and raised an Amalekite nation that came back during the time of Esther, and they were the people that Haman came from that wanted to eliminate all the Jews. God knows best. They let one little girl loose, they let the queen go, and it gave old Billy to the kingdom for generations. You got to obey God. You remember Ananias and Sapphira? had a little pride problem. It wasn't that they didn't do what they did. They just wanted to look like Barnabas and that they brought everything, and it cost them. A perfect life missed one thing. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? She had a keystone moment. The Bible says that she spent all she had and rather grew worse. She spent it all, did it all, 12 years. But she did one thing one afternoon, and it advanced her life exponentially. God wants to do that for you. He doesn't want you being whacked around by the devil or the world, and he wants you to get on his plan, and there's one thing you lack. 
Now, in our lives today, we've got so many challenges and so many things facing us. We're just trying to keep the door closed and maintain. I said maintain. We've got many fronts we're trying to just maintain. But the Lord doesn't say maintain. He said me master over one thing. Everything that you need from God has to come from a seed. You're not going to get healing without hearing God's word about healing. Y'all say amen. You're not going to have prosperity come to your life just because I'm preaching it to you, because it's in the Bible, because we stand up and say we believe. You're going to get it because the seed of God's word concerning prosperity comes into your heart and you mix it with faith and you act on it. You engage it. And at some point in some dimension, you advance your life with a seed, a financial seed, or with a faith statement or some sort of boldness that advances your whole life financially that came from you hearing God's word over and over. We as Americans are very immature concerning relationships, especially in the Northeast, not so much in the South, but in other parts of the country, they are rude all the time. Y'all know those people. (laughs) But we as the church, we can't afford to be rude. We have to understand relationships because the whole kingdom of God is based on relationships. Everything rises and falls on relationships. So we've got to be masters of relationships. I read books on how to forgive. Doesn't mean I'm good at it. No, I want to do a checkup. How to be happy all the time. Read books on how to come into a room and have the favor of people. It's a natural book, but learning how to have relationships. You know, some people don't care, but it holds their whole life back. So the key, the keystone for you this morning The general key is you've got to become a master concerning healing. You've got to find out about God's Word. Talked to a friend of mine this week. He's a minister. He's a missionary. All of a sudden, his wife comes up with cancer. He's in the ministry. Love God. Going to church. Worldwide work. But his wife comes up with cancer. What are you going to do? Do you think that's going to set his ministry back? You think it's going to hinder his family life? You think his finances are going to be affected? Do you think that every part of his life was set back on its heels because his wife is in the hospital with cancer? You think that's not going to affect it? It's a major blow. How are you going to live a life that isn't set back 10 or 12 or 20 years or forever that doesn't take that hit? You become strong in the Word of God. How do you fund the kingdom? I've had you raise your hands, and many of you say, I'm a paymaster. The rest of you said, and I want to give. But how do you think that's going to happen? Just because you've got the blood of Jesus in your life, just because God loves you? It's going to be because you've got the seed of God's word inside of you as a mastery. How many of you want it? You want it. There has to be a passion. One thing thou lackest in this next year, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be required of you to become masters in the word of God. You're going to have to put the seed of God's word in your heart concerning things. Do you know how to pray? I'm telling you, it's a keystone. If you know how to pray effectively, you can get the kingdom of God to move on your command for yourself and for others. But if you don't know how to pray, it doesn't matter much what else you know, you are limited. I said it's not working well for you, and it's not going to change. I think we ought to learn how to pray in 2010. How do you do that? Read books? Well, you can, you should, but you ought to just come to prayer and listen to somebody that knows how to pray. I learn how to pray a lot just from listening to Debbie. A lot of you didn't know how to pray, but just listening to Debbie, who has given herself to mastery in that realm. 
She is consumed by it. She loves it. She helps us. I have areas that I work on I'm passionate about, just like you do in your life. But we all have to have a working knowledge of how to pray, how to advance the kingdom. You've got to know what to do with your seed. If you just put your seed in the bucket and say, Lord, here it is, I'm telling you very little's going to happen. Every one of us in here, if you were honest, gut-level honest, would say, I need a supernatural event to happen in my life. And if you were to sign a list, you would probably say, this is the one thing I lackest. But I challenge you this morning to tell you that probably you're wrong. Probably that is on your list legitimately, but probably the main thing you need is a priority of the kingdom of God, a selling out to his system. Because we can't just try God's system, we have to sell out to it. It's time. John Avanzini, he's a minister that's been around a long time. He tells a story about going to Africa and about standing up before a church congregation that was packed out and preaching and said it was the hardest sermon he ever preached. He preached an American message that he'd had great success and wrote a book and they just loved him for it, but they all just sat there and looked at him. Nothing was happening. He was used to an American anointing instead of what was required in an African anointing. It wasn't because they were African. It was just because they had sold out, and he had not sold out at the level they had sold out, and he was a seasoned American minister. And so when he got through and sat down, the pastor got up, and he took an offering. I believe I have this right. And the people left the service and came back, and they had pillowcases, they had bags, they brought such an offering, and it kept coming for hour after hour until the pastor stood up and said, stop, no more offering. The people were compelled to live at that level. Well, that's in another nation, another continent, but we can. And it's just simply, it's all agreeing to make a difference in our city with this time of our life. You're not called here to have a business you have a business. You're not called here just to raise kids. You have kids. You're not called here to be spiritual, but you are spiritual. We are called to impact our generation where we are right now. And we will be held accountable for it. Say, was God going to judge us? He can't give us everything we need until we first sell out. I'm selling out in 2010. I've sold out some. I got to this level by selling out some, but I'm going to sell out some more. I'm giving it up. I'm going to take another step with the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to go with me. I'm going to invite you to do what you've never done, to consider what you've never considered in 2010. I'm going to invite you to go to the supernatural power of God and live by faith, to live by the grace of God. So let's just lift a hand before heaven right now.